Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. (laughs) This week, we will be talking about The Family Jewels, season seven, episode five, first aired November 4th, 1990. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica's night at a political fundraiser turns to murder. End quote. That's it. That's <laughs> straight to the point. So there wasn't any trivia listed for this episode. So there's that. I will say, however, as someone who's watched the entire series, some episodes more memorable than others, there is a very interesting uh thing here. Okay. So I'm going to refer to a previous episode and I'm going to refer to a past, uh, a future episode. So first let's get into the returners and then we'll talk briefly about how there are some similarities in this episode to a previous episode we saw and a future episode that we're going to see in season eight at that. So like soon. So we have four returners. First, we have John Considere, and we will recognize him as Horton Thayer from Town Father, season six, episode 11. And in this episode, he plays Porter Finley III. Now, I don't remember... (laughs) Hint, like I, I don't, I don't remember him from Town Father, but again, that was an episode that I wasn't really a fan of because they were out here besmirching the name of Mayor Sam Booth. And that's just unacceptable. So I don't remember who he was. Okay. I think I blocked that episode out. <laughs> okay. So next we have Stanley Camel. We will recognize him as Frankie the Barman from Weave a Tangled Web, season five, episode 10. And now most likely we recognize him as a an actor that is in a lot of TV and movies, okay? But he's only been in one prior Murder, She Wrote episode. So when I saw his picture in IMDb and I saw the name, I knew he had been in a prior Murder, She Wrote episode, but he looks so familiar because he's in a lot of things, okay? (laughs) In this episode, he plays Sid Staples, and this is his last Murder, She Wrote episode. We then have Jonah Lee, and we will recognize her as Sally, Sally Ann Carmichael from Murder, She Spoke, season three, episode seven. And she was, that doesn't seem like that's right. Murder, She Spoke, wasn't that the last episode of that season? Yeah, no, it, that, IMDb had that incorrect. That, that was not, that was the last episode of season three, I believe. So, oops, okay. <laughs> Anyway, so she was Stan, she was Stony Carmichael's niece, the one with the purple nail polish and the side ponytail and the 
quintessential late 80s outfit and makeup who wanted to be a star, but really sounded like, what did he say? A screech owl? <laughs> It'd be your own family that just, just break you all the way down. Okay. In this episode, she plays Margaret Gable, and this is her last Murder, She Wrote episode. And then we have one of my favorites, Brenda Vaccaro, okay, who also is in a lot of stuff. I think she has, if I remember correctly on IMDb, she has like two or three upcoming uh, movies or TV shows acting credits coming up. Just, she's a delight, okay? (laughs) This is the third episode we've seen her in. We were first introduced to her in the Murder, She Wrote realm as Mimi Harcourt. She was the society writer, tabloid writer, hybrid in Just Another Fish Story, season four, episode 14, 19, sorry, episode 19. Which is that right? Okay, I I'm not I, <laughs> I don't know that one offhand. And then we saw her as Dee Dee Blair, the real estate agent, and Victoria Griffin's boss in the Fixer Upper. And in this episode, she is Sheila Kowalski Finley, and this unfortunately is her last murder she wrote episode, and. I have to say, in the previous two episodes, she wasn't in it a lot. She was memorable in them, right? But she wasn't a major character in either one of those. In this one, she is. And I love her dynamic, just period. But then with her and Jessica, like, it looks like Angela Lansbury had like a good time filming this, like with Brenda. I don't know. It just, I wish I could have seen at least one more episode with the two of them. I, yeah, unfortunately that didn't happen, but we will have to savor this episode. And I will say this, that I struggled to watch this episode, right? But once I started watching it, I realized it was a much better episode than I realized. So I was dragging my feet, couldn't pull it together. Just there's some episodes that I'm not looking forward to reviewing. In this season, well, I already told you the return of Preston Giles ain't happening. Okay, ain't happening. Because my need for justice is destroyed in that episode. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be a no for me. Um, now, I will be reviewing Moving Violation, right? But that one is a difficult one. So I know I'm going to struggle to watch it and, and record it. Okay, so there's that because um, I don't think there's any redeeming qualities about it. It's not a bad episode in that. I mean, like the subject matter and stuff like that. Um, because... Uh, Mort is accused of murder. Okay, just, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Um, So that will be a feat dragging. 
but <laughs> I don't know why I did with the family jewels because this is actually a really good episode, a really good episode. And I remembered most of it, but sitting and watching it all together, quality. So now as to an old episode, that was one of my favorites and a future episode, which is also one of my favorites, how this uh, has similarities. So in this episode, we have Sheila, who is a wealthy woman who loves a white fur coat. And we will also remember if we take it all the way back, all the way back to murder flies first class. Okay. Yes. Where another one of my favorite actresses, okay, is in there, a future Mrs. Columbo. <laughs> Although they said that series wasn't good, but I'll watch it one of these days and I'll let you know. But... In that episode, we had an American heiress who loved a white fur coat, who was having an affair with her bodyguard slash chauffeur. Okay. Same thing here. Okay. There's a few different, there's a few more layers in this one, which we'll get into throughout the review. But interesting, right? Because in this situation, Sheila actually is the one who has the much, she is crazy wealthy, not just rich. She is crazy wealthy. Okay. And we'll find out how in the review, but I'll tell you similar to the corpse fly, <laughs> the corpse flew first class, not murder. The corpse flew first class, similar to that where, um, the wealthy heiress, it's through their father that they have this wealth. And we'll find out how Sheila's father got that money. It was legitimate. It was legitimate. He didn't have to kill anybody for that. So there, at least there's that, you know, there's that. So the uh, now a future episode that we will see is at the beginning of season eight, we have... Jessica moving to Manhattan, right? Not for good, but she has, she's renting an apartment in Manhattan because she's going to be teaching at Manhattan University, Manhattan College, something like that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's the, it's Manhattan Community College, I think. But when she moves into her apartment, the pre previous resident ends up getting murdered, but like literally the day before she moves in. Thankfully not in the apartment, but still, girl, scary. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so in that one there, and it's funny because John Considine is also in that episode and he plays the owner of a jewelry, well, it's not a jewelry store. It's an antique store and there's jewelry smuggling going on in that episode, okay? 
So there's that. Now in this episode, he is not involved in the jewelry smuggling situation. Okay. Or the issue with jewelry. We'll get into specifics in a minute. But also, also, also. Okay. (laughs) Someone gets murdered for being out here uh, scheming and skimming in the jewels and jewelry uh, area. Okay. So there we go. So we have the corpse flew first class with regards to Sheila and her situation. And then we have bite the big apple with the jewelry related murder. There we go. All right, so let's get into the cast. So we have Rocco Pastolino, Porter Finley III, Sheila Kowalski Finley, Drew Borden, Sid Staples, Margaret Gable, Charles Lochner, Lieutenant Stuyvesant, D.L. Beaumont, Arthur Morris, Barbara Loring, and Olivia. So we start out with a scene outside. Now we're in New York City. We're in Manhattan specifically, okay? So we have Drew Borden, who is an assistant district attorney. He's a prosecutor. It seems like he is maybe the chief prosecutor, not, well, the chief assistant district attorney. So not the district attorney, but maybe second in command. He has a very large office. So someone probably in the executive staff, um, but he still prosecutes cases. He's still going to court. Uh, he's still trying cases, things like that. So he has just either, he secured a guilty verdict on someone by the name of Ripken, not, not the mass murderer and not the baseball player. Okay. So neither, neither of those, neither of those, right? I believe his name is Robert Ripken. So the press is in the hallway right outside the courtroom and they're asking him like, basically what type of sentence are you going to recommend? So Drew is like, listen, he was out here scheming and scamming. Um, The sentence will be appropriate with you being out here scheming and scamming, okay? And so then Sid, who is Drew's campaign manager, says that, well, what Mr. Borden means to say is that he has much respect for Mr. Ripken and all of the money that he has put into the city through the museums, the hospitals, and charitable causes, and that he will request the minimum sentence. At this point, the elevator doors close, and Drew was like, what is that about? And Sid is like, oh, well, I'm trying, that's me saving your butt. You don't want to lose votes, right? And so on, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So Apparently, now we're back in, we're up to Drew's office now. So it's Drew and Sid, his campaign manager. And he says, Roger Ripken, this is Drew, stole $200 million. Mind you, it's 1990. 1990, $200 million through insider trading. I don't know why the feds are not prosecuting him and giving him 150 years in prison, I I don't know. I don't know why the feds are not prosecuting him with $200 million 
1990, the Securities and Exchange Commission should have been prosecuting through the U.S. Attorney's Office because there is one in the Southern District of New York, which covers Manhattan. So I, I, me, okay. So I, I'm guessing this was needed to push the plot along, but like, if you're an attorney, this doesn't, who deals with criminal law or knows about criminal law, this doesn't make sense that for this level, not saying that the New York County District Attorney's Office could not properly handle this, not saying that at all, but the state sentencing guidelines are nowhere near the feds sentencing guidelines. Okay. Like this man's great, 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 great grandchildren would be alive with awaiting the birth of their children before this man's sentence would have ended in real time. Okay. So I, I don't know why the feds aren't doing this, but apparently this is important to put this in here when it actually has nothing to do with the full plot of this, but okay, fine. So Sid is like, well, that, no. And so Drew says, if it was up to me, I'd give him 200 years in prison, which if he was prosecuted federally, that would have been a much better chance of that happening. Not even gonna lie. Yeah, okay. So Sid is like, well, is that worth the election? And Drew's like, I told you, I'm not gonna be out here lying. Okay, I got to do justice out here. And this person's out here scheming and scamming. I'm not going to pussyfoot around. He ain't say this, but this is what he meant. Pussyfoot around and say these politically correct things when the fact of the matter is, that's not how I roll. So Sid is like, listen, you hired me because I won 16 straight elections. I'm assuming that's what he was going to say as campaign manager, but the secretary walked in to tell him that they had gotten one of the line ADAs on the phone who was writing a motion that needed, that Drew needed sooner than the ADA had said they would get it to him. So he was calling to light a fire under him. And so Sid is like, let me just run my numbers. Like, let me do my job. And Drew says, Okay, fine, but make sure you're not doing a number on me. And then Sid leaves as Drew is speaking with one of the ADAs. My thing is, now Drew is running for district attorney of New York County, okay? In 1990, all right, so... Sid, now I don't know what other elections uh, Sid assisted in helping the candidate win, um, but the campaign for a district attorney is not anywhere near the same as a, a campaign for anything else, okay? So... You don't want people to think because the people who actually are going to be voting 
want to know that you're going to be hard on crime. Now, I understand that Sid is probably saying, hey, the people who actually live in Manhattan at this point are probably super wealthy. And so they don't want to think that if I'm scheming and scamming to keep myself wealthy, that I could be prosecuted. So I'm not going to vote for this person. I could understand that to a degree. But the fact is, people wanted someone who's going to be tough on crime. And if you are saying to anyone who is not wealthy or even to the wealthy people who are like, you shouldn't be out here scheming and scamming that, oh, if you're wealthy, if you use your stolen funds to assist the city, then we're going to just give you a pass and have a blind eye. The fact is that would not have won the election. It, it wouldn't have. And this sleazy, slimy campaign is not what people expect of a district attorney. You know what I mean? Like in the times when it was the thing to be tough on crime, you needed to run your campaign to be tough on crime, right? If people are knocking old ladies over the head, stealing their purses and wallets and, and stuff like that or assaulting and crime is rampant, then you can't be like, oh, well, these, you know, I know I, I'm hard on the murderers and the rapists and stuff like that, but you steal $200 million on some nonviolent insider trading, you know, that it's cool. It's cool. I know where my butter, my bread is buttered. You know, that's what that's telling people. Okay. So I don't know. And I'm like, they just be putting uh, Stanley in these wigs. Okay. <laughs> just terrible. Just terrible. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at Beaumont's jewelry store. And Jessica's there getting her watch fixed and she needs it by the next day because she's just lost without it. I bet you that it is a watch that Frank got her for an anniversary. Either Frank got it for her for an anniversary or it was a gift from her parents. Those are two things that she would have kept super, super close and would be lost without, okay? Even overnight, okay? So I, that's my guess. We don't know who it came from, but it's probably one of those two. Because I doubt if she would feel that way if it was a gift she bought herself when her first novel, you know, The Corpse Danced at Midnight, uh, became a bestseller or she got her first big check. I don't, I don't think it would be as sentimental where she's like, uh, like how quickly can you get this done? Because I don't, I want to be without the watch for too, too long. I just, I can't. So it's clearly sentimental value to her. It's a nice watch too, besides the, the sentimental value. So she's waiting for them to go back, the associate to go back to see how long it's going to take to fix the watch. And we then see Sheila speaking with Charles, who is another associate at Beaumont. And she's looking at necklaces, okay? And she has on her white fur coat, okay? And she is just the life of the party, even in the jewelry store, okay? And Jessica is at first annoyed. She looks a little bit annoyed. Like, why are you being loud? And not for nothing? Exactly. 
Okay, this is a jewelry store. This is two steps above a library. Like, can I have some peace here? There are tens of thousands, there are millions of dollars worth of jewelry here. Like, I don't know why we should be quiet, but we should. <laughs> I don't know. But but then like Jessica kind of takes it in stride and it's like, all right, well, she she's a character, clearly. And so while Jessica is watching her, Charles walks away and Sheila then proceeds to take clearly the most expensive necklace in the tray. It is a complete circle of diamonds. Okay. Like visible diamonds, not huge and gaudy or anything like that, but they're, they're probably, I don't know. I don't know sizes of diamonds. I don't know carat amounts or anything like that, but they also have probably 10 or so rubies that are look like well that are hanging but it looks like they're also surrounded in diamonds as well each of the rubies and those are relatively large rubies like a classy large I'll say and so she just drops that in her bag she don't even look around okay as soon as Charles walks off the homegirl drops it in her bag like it's okay and Jessica is shocked by this So Charles comes back and Sheila is like, oh, I'm not going to get anything today. Like y'all need to get better stuff. Like nothing caught my eye. Do better, do better. And she leaves, right? So she's there with her chauffeur slash bodyguard Rocco or also known as Rocky. And so they leave. And Jessica then tells the associate that brings her watch back and is like, oh, we can have it ready for you tomorrow at 10 a.m. She's like, that lady, she's like, okay, thank you. She goes over to Charles and she tells Charles that that lady just, you know, stole a necklace. And Charles, instead, like, okay, this is to move the plot along. I get that. That he's like, there wasn't a necklace there. I'm familiar with our inventory. I don't know what you thought you saw, but she didn't steal anything. So Jessica is incensed by this, but leaves. So my thing is all Charles had to say, because like, this isn't even important. You know what I mean? Like this, her and her stealing this necklace, because we'll get to the fact that she didn't technically steal it. Okay. But it has nothing to do with the actual murder, okay? Now, jewelry has to do with the actual murder, but her out here stealing, technically, this jewelry has nothing to do with it, okay? And this is not how Jessica then becomes part of this story. And we'll find out in a minute that it has nothing to do with this, but... Although I really, really like this episode. Okay, it, it's starting to sound like I didn't, but I did. <laughs> because I understand this had to, this actually did not move the plot along, but okay, that, that's what the writers envisioned. All Charles had to say was, ma'am, come a little closer. Okay. She has an account here. Okay. So I'm just going to put that on her tab. She, she likes a little spice in her life. Okay. But she, she has a tab here. It's not a problem. 
And Jessica would have been done with it. And we could have moved on and kikied about it later on when she meets Sheila personally. But he don't say that. He, I'm like, how are you going to tell this woman who clearly looks like she is a person of import, okay? She's not somebody who is on drugs that you can kind of convince, well, you ain't see what you saw. She doesn't seem to have bad eyesight that you could be like, you ain't see what you saw. She is, or somebody who was jogging past and you could say, you didn't see what you saw or what you thought you saw, right? She was standing like 10 feet away looking directly at the situation. And you just had your back turned to speak with the other associate who's asking you about Jessica's watch. So I don't know why you out here lying. You ain't got to lie, Craig. You ain't got to lie. Because you could have just said, which is true, she has an account. I know what she took. And that'll just be charged to her account. She has an account here. And that would have been it. That would have been it. Okay. And then Jessica would have had a funny story to tell Drew later that evening. Okay. Instead of what actually happened. So the next scene, um, Sheila returns home. And while she is being driven into the garage by Rocky, Porter gets a call from Beaumont's. Okay, from George. So I don't know who George is. George may have been the person who was assisting Jessica because the owner is D.L. Beaumont. So he said, George, I'm assuming that this is the other associate that we met. But basically saying, because we don't hear that side of the conversation, but basically like, all right, she took another necklace. This is how much it is. And we need payment immediately. Not like they don't pay, like they pay. So anyway, so Porter, we hear his side of the conversation and he's like, listen, you know that the trust will pay, but the check needs to be double signed. I will speak with her trustee today and we will get the check cut and signed as soon as possible. You know the deal, you know the process and procedure. You're gonna get paid but there are fail safes in place so she don't just burn through this money. So he gets off the phone and Sheila is still in the garage. Now she's in the backseat of the limo and Rocky opens the door to help her out and she's like, get in here and they start making out and I think a little bit more or whatever in the backseat of the limo. Now, the garage door is closing. We see Margaret, the maid, she's looking through her blinds and she's upset. We see Porter, he's looking through the curtains, seeing the garage door go down and he he know the deal. But he don't get upset and we'll find out later why he don't really care for real, for real. So they, they're in there doing whatever they're doing, okay? So the next scene, we're at Jessica's hotel and she's being picked up by Drew, okay? He's gotten a car for the evening uh, to go to a fundraiser at the Finley home, 
right? Now, Jessica has not met either Porter or Sheila. She does not know either of them. So Jessica tells Drew about what she saw, the theft of the necklace. And Drew is like, well, if Beaumont doesn't report it, then there's nothing I can do, you know, then whether a crime was committed or not, if it's not reported, I can't do anything about it. And he's right. Because the thing is, he's also an attorney. He's a prosecutor. He he can't be out there arresting people, okay? <laughs> like, can he investigate? Yeah. Is he going to investigate without law enforcement assistance? Absolutely not. That's That causes problems, okay? So Jessica's like, okay, I guess you're, you're right. And so then Drew explains that the Finleys, well, Porter fin- Finley is a dear friend of his, right? And so they offered to have this. Now, we, now he's, now Drew and Porter, we don't know how they know each other. Now it's Porter Finley the third. So you think, oh, he's, you know, but he's not the one that got the money. Okay. Now I don't know if he was broke or if he just had regular people money. Okay. And his family had high hopes and that's why they named him Porter Finley the third, giving him a name of distinction, right? But we heard Porter say that Sheila's trustee, that her trust account would cut the check. So it's not like Sheila is the one who got money, money, wealthy, wealthy, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Okay. Cash rule everything around me. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. So apparently, um, Sheila got she got I can steal jewelry money, okay? <laughs> like diamond and ruby necklace money. Just put it in the bag, ma'am. Put it in the bag. So she. So we get to the Finley house, and Jessica meets Porter. And we learned that Porter and Drew met each other in college, I believe. At least they went to college together. I don't know if they knew each other when they were younger, but they were roommates in college and they were good friends in college. So now we find out on the side that Rocky and Margaret are dating. Now, Rocky, who was getting into it, sexually okay (laughs) with Sheila in the back of the limo in the garage right that he is actually dating Margaret and that he is trying to uh, calm Margaret down like listen she means nothing to me it's part of the job we about to leave here anyway and she's like three more days he's like yeah three more days and then it's just you and me Right. So, uh, suspicious. Right. So the next scene, we're back inside the party and we meet DL Beaumont. He and Sheila have been talking. Now DL Beaumont owns the jewelry shop and Jessica meets Sheila. And before she does, she sees Sheila across the room and she's standing next to Drew. And she's like, that's the woman I saw steal the necklace. And that's the necklace she stole. And Drew is like, uh, homegirl is worth $40 million. 
Okay, I don't think she'd be out here stealing. There has to be another explanation. Are you sure it's her? Because she wouldn't have a reason to steal. Again, we wouldn't have, the, the tone of this conversation had Charles just been like, she out here, she got an account. Is Jessica like, oh my goodness, you ain't gonna believe this. I saw Sheila. I saw that lady over there. Who's that? Sheila. Oh, she she got 40 million. She worth $40 million, point blank, period. Okay. In 1990. Okay. Jessica would have been like, let me tell you. Now, I was at Beaumont. Okay. Get my watch fixed. It's going to be ready in the morning at 10. And you know the one Frank got me. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, So while I was waiting for them to figure out how long it was going to take to get my watch fixed, I look over and Sheila is doing the most. And she put that, she put that necklace in her bag. Tell me why she got an account there. So she could just pocket stuff and just walk out like she stole it. But she actually has an account there. So it's paid for. That's wild. These rich people be doing the most. Okay. (laughs) And they would have laughed at Kiki and whatever, whatever. And then when she met Sheila, it would have been, a different vibe, right? But that's not what happened. So she, so Mr. Beaumont, when she's introduced to him, she was like, oh, it's a small world because I was at your store earlier today getting my watch fixed. And Sheila says, oh, that's where I recognized you from. I thought I had seen you before. So like she admits that she saw her at the shop, okay? And when I tell you, Sheila don't even care that that woman probably saw her put that necklace in her bag and she don't feel like she needs to explain herself. I love it. Okay. <laughs> she like, mind your business, mind your business. Okay. So Sheila's like, come on, Jessica, let's go mingle. And so as they're, they're talking or whatnot, Sheila's like, I don't like these type of parties either. Jessica's like, I don't either, but you know what? You cool. You cool. I like you. You cool. And so they meet Barbara, who is a Boston socialite, and she has this pair of very 80s earrings on. And Sheila's like, oh my gosh, those are beautiful. I have a pair myself. And so Barbara was like, that's not possible because these are one of a kind. And so we see Sheila look up and she, the camera pans over, it's Rocky. And she's like, oh, excuse me. And she walks over and leaves the house with Rocky and Barbara is prattling on and Jessica is watching what that Sheila goes up to Rocky says they say something to each other. He then storms off and she like shrugs her shoulders and walks behind him to see what the deal is. We find out later that he had apparently been cold towards her for the past few days and she wanted to know why. So He hadn't called her over. She walked over to confront him. I don't know why she decided to confront him at this party, but she did say later on that he has a temper. So like maybe this would prevent him from acting a a donkey. I don't know. Okay, so I'm guessing, but then they ended up going outside to the garage. So I'm like, but girl, if he he low-key violent when confronted, you needed to stay in the party. But okay, she don't end up dead. So it's okay. And he don't, he does not like slap or punch or choke her or anything like that. Thankfully, thankfully, because anything could happen. This guy is 
could be crazy. And you say later he has a temper and you press at him and he clearly looks upset. I would be concerned that he would strike out violently, but but Sheila's like, I love him and he loves me. So like, she don't think he would do something like that to her. So I don't know. We'll find out how long they've known each other. So maybe she, maybe that's a reliable assumption. So the next day, I think it is. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's still, at, we're still at the party. And Jessica still feels some type of way. She's dancing with Drew and she's still talking about this daggone necklace. Okay. We wouldn't have had none of this because it adds nothing, nothing, nothing to the plot of this episode. And so we find out that Drew is running for New York City uh, District Attorney. Okay. Well, New York County, New York County. Uh, district attorney and Sheila goes up to the mic and she that's when she says what they're raising funds for and it's like some of y'all have not given your contributions I know who y'all are I'm about to come around with a paper bag put your checks in there okay no disappearing ink y'all ain't gonna come here and eat my food she ain't say all this but this is what she meant you ain't gonna come here eat my food drink my good wine and champagne, okay, I know it's champagne, but you know what I mean, and uh, eat the hors d'oeuvres, okay, and have the valet services, and the coat check, and the conversation, and the elbow rubbing, okay, and not come up off some money for my good friend, Drew Borden, and his campaign, to be the next New York County District Attorney. Come up off them wallets, okay? For real, for real. This ain't free. Okay? <laughs> now, she, now maybe they should have just charged $1,000 per plate. And then if you wanted to give more to be a big shot, then you could do that. And we will bring you up to the front and be like, oh, they donated $20,000. They donated $100,000. I think there were... There's probably limits to the amount of money you can donate to a campaign. Uh, but let's just assume. Okay, so like then you're guaranteed to get the $1,000 per plate for all of those people who were there, but whatever. So as she's doing that, as she on, she's on the microphone in front of all these people, Porter comes up to Drew and he's like, I don't want to cause a scene, but we have an issue. So Drew... Jessica Porter and there was a a fourth person I don't remember who it was that all walk out together and Sheila is seeing this but she finishes her speech and then she goes to find out where they went so they go to the garage and in the back seat of the garage the back seat the back seat of the limo that is in the garage where Sheila and Rocky were getting sexual right is Rocky dead someone to bash him over the head with a crowbar and I think they left the crowbar there which I'm like I guess if you want to frame somebody who was at the party then you have to leave the crowbar there because like where did the crowbar go if it was somebody at the party so yeah so they're standing there looking like uh 
Yikes. And Sheila comes up. She's like, what are y'all looking at? What's going on? She comes up to the door. They don't even try to prevent her, right? Like they really, Porter ain't really doing the most to, to try to prevent her from seeing this. She walks full front into the door, looks in, and that's when the first time we see, but they've already been looking at Rocky with blood on his head, you know, dead in the, the footwell of the back of the limousine. And so she, so Sheila almost pass out. Okay. She is just out of breath. And this is how, and Jessica is just looking like, uh, this is terrible. So they end the party so that the police can come in and investigate and stuff like that. So Sheila is upstairs in her room and Jessica is there helping her out. And Sheila is thankful to Jessica for staying. Um, Cause it's like, she just, she literally just met, they just met each other. Okay. They just met each other. And Jessica being who she is still having seen this woman steal a necklace. To, that was her belief, right? She still was like this, obviously this limo driver met something, meant something to her even if it was just an employee relationship, because that's, that's all we, now the audience knows that there's more, but I don't know if Jessica knows that there was more. Based on Sheila's reaction, you could just say, seeing somebody that you've known for a number of years murdered is going to be, it's going to mess anybody up. Or like, oh, that's kind of a serious reaction for someone who didn't have a romantic relationship with the person. I don't know. Either evaluation is fair. So Jessica is sitting, well, kneeling next to, or squatting, I should say, next to Sheila as Sheila's sitting in her chair at the vanity. And Jessica sees this diamond encrusted pin. And she says, oh, this is so beautiful. Like it reminds me of one that my mother had. It was, it was in, it was rhinestones. However, it wasn't out here diamonds. Okay. It was rhinestones and I had it for years. And then one day it up and disappeared. Right. And Sheila's like, here, take it. You can keep it. And Jessica's like, oh my God, no. <laughs> this is a diamond crested pin worth thousands of dollars. She don't say all this. She was like, oh my God, I literally just met you. Like, that is very nice. I wasn't telling that story so that you would give this to me. Jessica's like, oh my God, I can't take that. No, no, no. She was like, no, 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 take it. Jewelry's supposed to be fun. That's why she liked to steal it. Okay, girl. <laughs> but she got an account. And so Jessica's like, no, 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 I, I truly appreciate it. But no, this is way too much of a gift to give. Um, but thank you. So Sheila's like, okay, what is it? Okay, I can't get past page 30 in War and Peace. Girl, that's more than me, okay? <laughs> and I love to read, girl. But I can read people like Dick and Jane. Okay, like easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. And there's something you're not telling me. So Jessica says, well, if the police ask, I'm going to have to tell them that I saw you leave the party with Rocco or Mr. Pastelino, okay, before he was murdered. And so Sheila's like, okay, yeah, do what you gotta do. Like, I'm that's it? Okay, girl. 
Why are you upset? I'm not going to ask you to lie. So we then go downstairs and the lieutenant is there and he, Lieutenant Stuyvesant, we're in Westchester County. Okay. We don't find that out till later, but we're in Westchester, which is, uh, two, one borough above Manhattan. It's a long way, but it's one borough. (laughs) So there's Manhattan and then above Manhattan is the Bronx and above the Bronx is Westchester. So they're in Westchester County and the Lieutenant there, we've had this before. Have we, weren't we in Westchester in the murder of Sherlock Holmes? Or were we further up? I don't remember, but I feel like, where's, where's that chief of police? Anyway, so <laughs> where he at? So this lieutenant is a huge fan of uh, Assistant District Attorney Borden, okay? So he is, um, he's like, oh, I, I've been following all the cases and this one and that one and the homicide and the financial crime and did the did and did the did. And Drew is like, this is not appropriate. (laughs) He's saying that in his head. He's like, okay, thank you. Um, Don't you have a murder to be investigating? Not going over my resume, which I already know. Okay. (laughs) But basically the lieutenant is trying to get in good with Mr. Borden because he wants to come down to the city where the action is. And Jessica is like, you know, it's funny because our local sheriff in Cabot Cove, he left the NYPD for that same reason, you know, for peace and quiet. And even though he got more homicides up there than he had to deal with (laughs) in the South Bronx, which is a whole lie, but you know what I mean? Like the frequent, no, per capita, no, nah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, but (laughs) Yeah. So the lieutenant's like, oh, that's cute. Now I will say, you may ask, well, Borden is an assistant district attorney. Even if he wins district attorney, that has nothing to do with the police department, the NYPD, because the district attorney of Manhattan, also known as New York County, has nothing to do. They work with the NYPD and the state police and any other law enforcement, but they don't make a decision about hiring. So the mayor does. So I don't, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume, assume that the Lieutenant wants to get in good with uh, Drew for one of two or both reasons, right? One, perhaps so that when he does send an application to the NYPD, that he can use the newly elected district attorney as a reference, right? Even though the NYPD covers all five boroughs, Okay, so I don't see how that would work. 
Or two, which I think makes the most sense because he does say later on that he sent an application to Mr. Borden and that earlier that day and if it was too soon for a follow-up call. So what I'm thinking is he wants to get in good so that when Mr. Borden is elected or even now as the second in command, that he will hire Lieutenant Stuyvesant as a district attorney investigator. So he would be working for the district attorney's office of New York or Danny for short, okay? As opposed to the NYPD. So I think that's what he is trying to get into, okay? So that's what I think he's trying to do is work for the district attorney's office as an investigator. So still with all of his rights and privileges to make arrests and interview and investigate, it would just be under the direction of the district attorney's office as opposed to the police department. So anyway, the lieutenant then asks Sheila like three or four softball questions And he then gets to like, okay, well, there were witnesses who said that they saw you leaving the party with Mr. Postolino before he was murdered, right? And Sheila says, I did. We were having an issue with the party supplies. And so the lieutenant's like, okay, great. I don't have any more questions. And then turns back to Drew like, hey, we should really like schedule um, a time to speak, maybe go to lunch or something like that and, and converse. And she was like, okay, that sounds great. Okay, <laughs> like, sir, what do you want from me? Do your job. So anyway, so the next morning, Jessica goes to Beaumont's to pick up her watch and she is being assisted by Charles, Okay. And Jessica is like, listen, I was at a party with Sheila, you know, Mrs. Finley last night and she was wearing the necklace that she stole from here. And Charles is like, you should probably speak with Mr. Beaumont. Okay. So she does. And Mr. Beaumont denies that they even had the necklace and that she didn't steal instead of saying she paid for it. Okay. Her... A check was cut, the check cleared, she's good, period, right? But he don't say all that. He all cryptic and lying and whatever. And so he admits that he designed the necklace himself. So he's well aware of his inventory and that he can assure Jessica that the necklace was not stolen. So the next scene, we're back at the Finley house And um, the lieutenant is questioning Margaret because they found in Rocco's room two one-way tickets to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And they're in the name of Mr. and Mrs. Rocco Pastelino, but they don't know of any wife that he has. So Margaret... I don't think she says anything. I don't think she gives any information to him. So now we're in Drew's office 
and he fires Sid because Sid, I think, found a mugshot of Drew's opponent and they he had made a poster about it. And he also had a storyboard for a commercial. And at this point, Drew was sick and tired of this. This is not his thing. This is not how he wants to win, playing dirty. So he fires Sid and he's like, I am not going to run a campaign that's below the belt. That That's not how I'm going to win this. If I, you know, basically he's like, if I don't win, it wasn't meant for me to win. If I do win, then I know that I did it ethically. And he's right. He's right. Because you play dirty. People are going to expect that. They're going to expect that's how you run your office. That's going to, they're going to think, oh, I can just grease the palms of the district attorney and he's going to turn a blind eye if I have enough money. Okay. And, you know, oh, I shouldn't like, oh, he can dig up dirt about people. Like it just, it's not the way to go. So of course, Sid is all upset about that. And he's like, this is how campaigns are run. And Drew is like, not for me, not my campaign. Campaign, Get behind me, Satan, because this ain't, this ain't what you want. You take your slick, sliding, sleazy snake behind on about my office, okay? Now I'm sure, now I don't think Drew got stuff on him, but I'm sure that Sid ran right across to his opponent to see if he would get, if he could get some money to get hired. And we saw this in a body politic with um, one of the campaign, not the campaign manager, but one of the members of the campaign was playing both sides of the fence because they believed that the other side of the fence would result, would win and they would get a job, Okay. So we don't see this, but I'm sure Drew went over there to to try to work his uh, sneaky sleaziness with them. So Drew then gets a call from Jessica. And so she says she spoke with Mr. Beaumont and that based on his response, that it's likely that the item, that the necklace was paid for, but that's a very odd way to shop or jewelry. So Jessica put two and two together when it could have been resolved earlier on, but okay, whatever. So we learned from Drew that um, 10 years ago, Sheila had been arrested for grand theft in a jewelry store in Palm Beach. And it was a $20,000 diamond necklace. But the charges were dropped the next day. And most likely her accountant or trustee or whoever was able to, because, okay, the timeline here is wild because 10 years ago, she was arrested under the name Kowalski, her maiden name, but she's been married to, she definitely has been married to Porter longer than 10 years. Okay, she is a good 40 years old. So like Porter is definitely older than her. Okay, as is Drew. Like Drew looks like he's probably in his late 50s. I would give, well, no, he probably have to be in his 
early 60s, I would say. Early 60s, as is Porter, because they went to college together and it didn't sound like Porter went to college late. So they went to college together. And obviously Porter is older than Sheila. Sheila is probably like 40. So 10 years ago, she was 30. They didn't get married 10 years ago. Like we, we get a better idea. She was probably like 20. Oh no. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That's, that's right. That's right. Um, the timeline is correct and we'll get into that in a minute. So 10 years ago when she was in her late twenties, she, um, she was still single and still Kowalski. Okay. And that's when she got arrested for grand larceny or grand theft, I should say. And her trust made it right. And that's probably why the, um, charges were dropped the next day and she was released. So Jessica is, she is in her hotel. That's where she's calling Drew from. And she's wishing him well because she's getting ready to head back to Cabot Cove. So as she's going through her purse to make sure she has everything, she finds the diamond pin that Sheila has apparently dropped in Jessica's purse because Jessica refused to take it and she wanted her to have it. So she secreted it, secreted it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in Jessica's purse when she obviously wasn't looking and hadn't noticed. But as Jessica has found this, she notices on the TV that the announcer is saying that Sheila has been arrested for Rocco's murder. So she goes to the Finley house to return the pin and Porter convinces her to come in that Sheila is going to be home shortly. This isn't a setup. It isn't a setup. Porter is fine. Um, to come in the house to, so that she's there when Sheila gets in and he will make sure that Jessica gets to the airport on time in his private vehicle. Okay. I'm like, not for nothing. Like y'all probably got a private jet that y'all could get Jessica flown back to Cabot Cove. Um, but that's on Sheila. So Sheila will have to approve that. So yeah, he got to wait for Sheila anyway. He can only promise that he can get the driver to take her to the airport. But Sheila can probably go ahead and order that uh, private jet. Anyway, so we find out from Porter that the bail has already been posted and he sent a car for her. So she should be there any moment. And Jessica says that... You know, we have to discuss the fact that Sheila stole that necklace. Okay. Like now she's under scrutiny. They're going to be pulling up stuff from forever ago. And so Porter says he, he brings her in the house. He brings her into the den and shows her the receipt. That necklace was $78,000 plus tax. Seventy eight thousand dollars let that sink in homegirl got money like that that she could just have a seventy eight thousand dollar necklace that she gonna wear one good time okay not even rent it 
put it in her purse and tell them to charge it to her account. Well, she ain't say that, but that's what she said about her actions. Okay, so we find out. So Jessica's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you and Sheila. And Porter's like, but you did, cause she did. Let's not lie, you did. Because once you figured out somebody had paid for it, you should have been satisfied. But you, you wanted to bring this back up and embarrass this man. Let's not beat around the bush. Cause that's really what she was trying to do. You weren't trying to be like, oh, this should be discussed. It don't need to be discussed with you, okay? You're not giving them a heads up to what they may be asked about because she can, everybody's denying that she stole it except you. They definitely ain't calling you at trial. So what, what was the need for you to bring this up to him? For him to just confirm that it had been paid for? Anyway, so we find out from Porter that they have a longstanding arrangement with Beaumont. She steals whatever, they look the other way. And Jessica says, and send you a bill. He's like, yes, sends us a bill and we pay it. But what does that have to do with Pastelino's murder? And Jessica says, well, maybe nothing. Okay. So we find out that because Jessica then says, well, why did they arrest her? Like what, what came up that they then decided to arrest her? And so Porter says, Well, a witness came forward and said that she was going to the restroom and she saw Sheila and Rocco in the garage, in the garage. I think she was leaving or something or going outside for a smoke, whatever. She saw Sheila and Rocco arguing in the garage before she, before Rocco was murdered. And so Sheila then, so... Jessica is like, well, why, what was the issue? And Porter says, they're claiming that she was upset that Rocco was running off with Margaret, the maid. At this point, and Porter is like, I hope she didn't kill him, but I really don't think she did. But, you know, and that at this point, Sheila walks in, she's returned. And um, she's like, well, I'm glad you have faith in me. And you know, they hug and whatever. And she says, I didn't do it. And Jessica does believe that she did not, that Sheila is not the murderer. That's why she came with this ruse of returning the pin because homegirl could have mailed it. And that would have been a lot easier to do, but whatever. So as Jessica and Sheila are walking the grounds and talking, Jessica returns the pin and she's like, I really can't take it. I I appreciate it, but I really can't take it. So Sheila is like, all right, I understand. And Jessica is like, well, what, what's the deal with you and Rocky? Like what, what's the, what's the deal? So Sheila says that her and Rocky dated in high school. He was the fullback on the football team, American football that is. And she was a drum major She's a drum major, but she was twirling batons. Was she a majorette? Anyway, so she she was a majorette, we'll say. And twirling batons and all of that. And for three years, they were the it couple. But then I'm assuming this is her senior year, because most high schools, it's four years. 
in the states. So it's three to four, depending it, depending by county, school district, whatever. But I'm assuming that she had a four year high school. So ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So ninth, 10th, and 11th grade, she was dating Rocco and they were the it couple. But her senior year or before her senior year started, her father hit the jackpot. He was a, he was in metalworks and he ended up getting a large number of government contracts that just put their finances into outer space. So they moved to Bar Harbor and they ended up sending Sheila to finishing school in Switzerland. Okay. So her and Rocky tried to keep in touch by letters, but she said it was more so the money that created the distance as opposed to the actual distance. And so after 10 years, she decided that she wanted to put down roots and get married. So she married Porter. She's like, I love him. He loves me. But the problem is, well, Porter had the breeding, you know, Porter Finley III, that her father wanted for his daughter. But he didn't have the money. Now, she said he ain't had the money, but I don't know if she meant he was broke if he was of average income. Because I feel like the, I feel like Drew looks like he has money. Like he can afford to be in prosecution. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have running for district attorney money, which is very different than being just like regular wealthy. Okay. But he looked like he, he's not hurting for money. And as a public servant, you ain't, you ain't going to be no millionaire. Okay. Not legitimately. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking Porter had some money, Maybe they were middle class, maybe they were upper middle class, but he, he had to have some level of money because I, I say that because she said he didn't, he had no drive. Okay. He didn't have a sex drive and he didn't have a drive to do anything else. So my thing is if he has gone to college, gotten a degree and he's just living as a socialite, we'll say, I don't know what you call a, a male socialite, but a socialite. And now he is in his late 50s, early 60s. He had to have some money. Like he had to have some level of money to be able to not have a career, but still maintain the illusion that he was well-bred, okay? But he didn't have Kowalski money, okay? Wait Wait a second, wait, wait, wait a second, wait. Hold up. Wait a second. Let's take this back. Now, I wonder, I wonder, because she didn't say what her father's first name is. Now, I wonder if this Kowalski is the same Kowalski played by Ken Swoford back in Joshua Peabody slept here, possibly. Okay? Because he was Kowalski and he was in construction. Okay. He was a general contractor. Was that him? Was that him? Was that Sheila's daddy? Nah, he was still poor then. He was, nah, nah. He, he was still poor. 
And she, she, that was that many years ago. Because that would have been in 1984. Now that's only six years ago. No, that can't be him. That can't be him. Sorry. Sorry. I jumped to a conclusion and I almost pulled the muscle. Okay. <laughs> Leave me to that conclusion. Anyway, so she says that the fact that he didn't have any ambition or any drive to do anything was fine. But the lack of sex was a problem. Like, girl, I'm just, I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this and then we're going to move on. So you got yourself with an older man who didn't have the money you got. And he was not even uh, fulfilling your sexual needs. Why were you with him? Like, how, how did we even get here for you to fall in love? Like, what, what? Does he have a good personality? Like, I do feel like they love each other. But like, how do we get here? How do we, how do we get here? Like, did he, did he trick you? Did he pretend to have a sex drive? And then once he got you to marry him, he was like, the shop is closed. Okay. <laughs> he was like, yeah, nah, nah. That was just to get you to marry me. I, I ain't. Girl, I ain't into that. So <laughs> I think I think that's what had to have happened because you can't tell me that y'all were in a relationship and I don't know, like that just because he didn't have a sex drive doesn't mean that he wasn't uh affectionate towards her and she just assumed that that would translate to sexual activity and in fact it that's where it stopped. It's like, oh, nah, I'm cool. I'm good. You want to have some coffee, some hot chocolate, some tea? You want to watch a movie? You don't have to have sex. We can just watch a movie. Like, you know, you know they got Gaslight playing on NBC. You know, they got that Dame Angela Lansbury in there. We should watch that. that that'll be cute. That'll be cute. So <laughs> he had to have tricked her because I'm like, this, this, you ain't got the money. You ain't young and viral, virile, virile. That's the word. <laughs> you better not be viral. That, that means a few, that means something very different in 1990 than it means today. Okay. So anyway, so she said, basically Porter understanding that he was not fulfilling that need of mine. Uh, he tracked down Rocky because she never actually got over Rocky. And despite the fact that the three years that they were together, he was messing around with Sally, Susie, Joanne, Rebecca, Michelle, you know, the whole team, okay? And so she always knew he had somebody ready, willing, and able. Multiple, multiple. Okay, it wasn't like he had a whole additional girlfriend. Nah, he was a hit him and quit him, but he had his main chick, okay? He had a lot of sides. He had a variety of sides, a buffet, if you will. Uh, but his main dish, okay, his protein, if you will, had been Sheila for those three years. As she was in love, she ain't, she ain't get over him, right? 
And then Porter tracks him down. And basically she says, presented him like a birthday gift. Okay, allowing her to uh, have her needs met by someone that she also loved, okay, who could fill that need and Porter was there for everything else. That, that's, okay, that seemed to have worked for them, but that's wild, okay? <laughs> so he was out here pretending to be, well, actually working as, so he was getting paid for the pleasure, right? Because he's the chauffeur slash bodyguard. So he's on the payroll and he, and they sleeping together. That, they're the same age, okay? <laughs> they're the same age. And so Jessica is like, well, when did you find out that Rocky was leaving to go to Rio with Miss Gable. And Sheila says, when the police told me after I was arrested, I was shocked. You know, if I had known that they were together, I may have taken a tire iron to Margaret, but I would never have done that to Rocky. I loved him too much for that. And the fact is he was always fooling around with women from when we were young. So I think like, obviously now we see in a bit, we'll see them in the garage, like what happened in the garage between Sheila and Rocky. And Sheila keeps saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. But you'll notice that Rocky never says it back. Okay. She is, and they're not... (laughs) He's not even getting paid an exorbitant amount. He's getting paid regular chauffeur money, okay? Because he got a scheme and scam to get the money to run off with Margaret. So it's not like he's on the payroll and she's paying him $100,000, you know, and he got a mansion next door or something to that effect, you know, that they're paying for. No, he lives on the grounds just like everybody else. She could just stroll on up into his room, get whatever she need to get and stroll on back out to her separate bedroom because her and Porter live in, have separate bedrooms, okay? And, and that's that, right? So anyway, so if Rocky just wanted to mess around with Margaret, now Margaret had a problem with it, but Sheila ain't have a problem with it because that's what she was used to. She has a whole husband, Okay. The only thing that she, she cares for Rocky, she does, but not in like just you and me against the world type of love. Like we cool in the bedroom and I can have, sit down and have a conversation with you that's going to end in us having sex. But other than that, other than that, you live your life. You want to dibble and dabble with other women. Cool. That's on you. All right. Keep that where you keep that. You want to mess around with the maid? Fine. Okay. Keep it out of my limo. Keep it out of my room. Keep it out of Porter's room. You cool. Okay. And just be available when I need you to be available. And that would have been fine. That would have been fine. But Rocky don't love her. Okay. 
And obviously he is at the point where he does not even want to pretend to, you know, be in this or have sex with her anymore or be affectionate towards her anymore that he is scheming and scamming to run off. Because the fact is he can have women, that's not an issue at all to Sheila, as long as her needs are met. But he doesn't even want to meet her needs because he doesn't actually love her. She is room and board and a paycheck every two weeks, maybe every week, I don't know. And now he's able to run off. And the thing is, Margaret girl, Margaret girl, clearly you're younger, okay? Clearly. And you don't know better. You're going to run off to him, with him and he going to find, let him, you think that when you land in Rio, I take that back. You're going to tell me that once you get onto the airplane and he sees the Brazilian flight attendant, stewardess, that he is going to be focused on you ever again. Girl, please, he gonna leave you at the airport, okay? Not knowing how to speak speak Portuguese, just there looking dumb, okay? And he gonna be off with the flight attendant and then from the flight attendant to the maid at the hotel, to vacationers, to bachelorettes, to all of this, okay? Girl, you stupid. You about to lose your job and be stuck in Brazil, all right? For this man who ain't worth nothing, he gonna gonna look you in your face and tell you it's part of the job. I don't know no job that that says that you gonna be driving this woman around and you gonna be having sex with her regular, and we in a relationship? See, nah, he, girl, he must be putting something down because <laughs> ain't no way in this world that you gonna tell me it's part of your job? If your job is not gigolo, that ain't part of your job. So that's what you doing? Then we can't be together because that's your job. And you think we gonna run off and that's, and that he ain't gonna see, not for nothing, not taking nothing away from this actress, but you go, <laughs> you think, because you're younger, right? So his eyes got drawn to you, got you hypnotized or whatnot, thinking you gonna be together with him, living on living in Brazil, in Rio, you know, Carnival and all of that. And you real plain. Like you, you not hard on the eyes, but you plain. And he gonna have all these beautiful Brazilian women around him? Girl, please. Girl, you dumb. You already got you. He bamboozled you, girl. You thought y'all were gonna be together forever. Oh, Lord, that's funny. That's why I don't even feel bad for her because she's stupid. She ain't that young. For me to give her too much of a pass, that's, girl, girl, do better. Anyway, so we find out Jessica goes outside 
And she finds the lieutenant and he's examining the car, which is the crime scene. Well, part of the crime scene. And Jessica asks if the lieutenant was able to find out if Rocky had any assets. And the lieutenant says, except for $18,000 in cash in his room, that all he had was underwear. (laughs) I guess the suits were provided for him. And so Jessica's like, he had no bank account, no stocks, no bonds, nothing. And the lieutenant says, no, like we couldn't find anything. And so Jessica was like, well, what, what, he, what was he going to live on in Rio with Margaret? And Lieutenant's like, girl, I don't know. Okay, people just don't be thinking things out. They, they think they're going to figure it out when they get there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so he's looking under the car and he finds a red bow that has jewels on the center and asks Jessica if she recognizes it, which she does. And she's really like in a tough spot because she recognizes it as a bow from one of Sheila's shoes. So they go inside and Sheila says, so, okay, so I did make it to the garage with him. Okay. He had been cold to me for the past few days and I wanted to find out why. So I followed him out there and, you know, he has a bit of a temper, got upset and he pushed me. That must've been when the bow came off of my shoe and Jessica says, and you got the bruise on your ankle. And so they, they replay it as a flashback and she has on some decently high heels and her foot turns when he pushes her up against the car to get away from him or out of his face. So he's apologizing and she's like, Oh, it's okay. And you know, um, She's just like, so he then kisses her because she was like, kiss me. And and she was like, I love you. I love you so much. And he's like, oh, you should get back into your party before they think that you're in the garage messing around with the chauffeur. And she says, "Um, you know, I, I was, but I am. And she kisses him some more. And she says, I love you like two more times as she's leaving. And he doesn't say, I love you back. Okay. So Sheila is like, listen, he was still alive when I went back to the party. She then tells Jessica, I know you're supposed to be returning to Maine, but can you please stay in New York? Can you stay over tonight and help me? So Jessica agrees. And I guess she's going to stay at the house. So she goes upstairs to speak with Margaret, who is packing. And she says that Jessica says, I hear that you gave your notice. And Margaret says, yeah, I'm going to return to Vermont and try to start all over again and forget all this happened. And Jessica says, well, you know, you, I know that you were supposed to go off with Rocky. I forgot his name for a second. And do you know, like, I'm sure you guys had to discuss how you were going to afford to live there. Like, what what was that discussion? And she said, he said he was going to come into some cash. And then going forward, he was expecting to receive money every other month. And so Jessica says, did he say where he was getting the money from? And Margaret says he was in some investment program that you, you know, you get paid out regularly. And so that, that ends with Jessica like, hmm, interesting, right? 
So the next scene, we see a burglar who disarms the security alarm. He then comes into Sheila's room. There is a cat, Sheila's cat, I'm assuming, um, who's sitting on the floor, just curled up watching. Okay? Watching. Okay. (laughs) That's why you need a dog. (laughs) No shade to cat people, but like, the the dog would have been suspicious because I'm going to tell you, it's not somebody who's normally in the house. So the dog would not have recognized this person and likely would have alerted the you know, master and mistress of the house. Okay. But that cat was like, this ain't my business. Okay. <laughs> and just, How you gonna let the house get robbed, cat? How you gonna let the house get robbed? And you just sitting there looking. That's terrible. Y'all need a dog. That's, or a cat that thinks it's a dog. Okay, they out there too. And it would have ripped his face off. Okay. (laughs) This one just chilling. Like, who that? As long as he don't touch me, I don't care. Whatever. Do what you got to do and close the door. Goodness, is a draft? <laughs> anyway, anyway, a mess. So the person goes up to Sheila, and who is, of course, wearing a full face of makeup, because, of course, why wouldn't you when you're sleeping? And puts some liquid on a rag and covers her face with it. Now, homegirl goes down a little too quick for my taste, but maybe she got, maybe she got breathing problems, and so it worked faster or something. I don't know. Now I was like, oh my God, is she dead? Did she die too? She doesn't, she doesn't. But I was like, oh my God, wait. No, we like her. We like her. Don't let her be dead. So the person then goes over, produces a key, goes over to a jewelry box, like a very large multi-drawered jewelry box. Opens up the, the main part and goes to unlock the drawer. Now, as he was walking over there, he stepped on the tail of the cat. So now the cat got something to say. Now the cat, but yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still, he stepped on the cat's tail, right? And then stepped back off like, Ooh, my bad. The cat screams, right? Which wakes up Porter who's in the next room. And apparently also Jessica, but we don't see Jessica being woken up. We just see Porter. Well, it turns on the light and goes to see what the deal is. When he comes out of his room and starts walking towards Sheila's room, we see Jessica come out of her room as well. So they go and, not Drew, good Lord, Porter is knocking on the door calling Sheila. Now the burglar is in the room trying to get the drawer open. He gets the drawer open. We see a bunch of beautiful necklaces and other pieces of high-end jewelry. And so so then they're still knocking on the door, knocking on the door. They don't get a response, obviously, because Sheila is knocked out. I feared that she was dead, but she is only knocked out. Um, I'm assuming it's supposed to be chloroform and, you know, because that's a thing, whether that actually works or not. Science says no. But anyway, so uh, Porter has a key to his wife's room, 
produces it out of his robe pocket, opens the door. And at this point, the burglar drops the drawer that has the jewelry in it and runs out the French door. Okay. As Porter is running in, telling, yelling, hey, you stop. They go over to the bed. Jessica checks the pulse. We don't hear anything, right? We don't get a result. They just look at each other. But the next scene, we see Sheila is awake and she's drinking tea. Okay. Sitting next to Jessica, Porter is there and the lieutenant is there now as well. And so I'm just like, wait a second. Cat, you gonna let this person step on your tail and you didn't rip that man's face off? I would have to banish you to the garage. Because honestly, honestly, we have a security system. I understand that. I understand that. But like, what what value? You're not, you're not living up to your end of the bargain, all right? Because you ain't even like, you, but okay, wait a second, wait. The cat don't even sleep in a cat bed. So like, I don't know, maybe they ain't treating her right. And she was like, you know what, screw them. Whatever, y'all ain't even got me a cat bed or a cat tower or whatnot. People don't even know a cat live here. Okay, I'm sleeping on the floor by the, the window. I ain't even got a bed to sleep in. Listen, a box, nothing. Some wood to keep me off the floor. I don't, a pillow, nothing. So maybe the cat's like, I don't care, rob this place. They don't be treating me right here. They give me the basics. Like we poor. Like, <laughs> I'm sleeping on the floor. And they give me dry food. They don't even mix it with wet food. No, go rob this place. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Clearly, clearly this cat has, has the same amount of ambition as Porter does. <laughs> Zero. So anyway, so the next scene where I, I can't tell if we're at Beaumont's or if we are at Drew's office. But we have Charles there who is examining Sheila's jewelry, the one in the jewels in the drawer that dropped and the burglar left. All of the items except one are paste. They are very, very good duplicates, but they are duplicates made with glass and, and paste or uh, yeah. So they're man-made. The only one that is real is the diamond and ruby necklace that Sheila stole the other day. So yeah, that's the only one that was real. And so Drew says, so you, so Beaumont let her steal paste jewels and collected millions for it. And Jessica's like, no, I think there's another explanation for this. So the next scene, we see Margaret sitting on a sofa and Jessica is on the phone with the lieutenant telling him that Margaret is ready to cooperate. Now, we don't hear the other side of the call, but uh, the lieutenant is like, you should have called me first and blah, blah, blah. And so Jessica is like, oh, well, I think Mr. Borden's going to be upset about this. Well, this was his idea. 
Oh, okay. Now, yeah, yeah. So you're coming down here? Okay, we'll see you when you get here. So, yeah. The, anyway. <laughs> so the next scene, this is what they concocted, okay? So the next scene, we're at a diner. And Margaret is sitting at a table. And someone comes in with a briefcase, sits down, the camera pans up, and it's Charles from Beaumont's jewelry store. And so Charles says, oh, so, well, Margaret was like, I know that you had something going with Rocky and, you know, we were going to, you know, leave and and live, you know, well, whatever. But now that he's dead, I'm going to have to live with this money myself. And so Charles says, oh, so he told you about it. And she's like, yeah, he, he told me that you had a jewelry scam. He gave me your name. He gave me your uncle's name. And he gave me the name of the jewelry store in Boston as a sort of insurance plan. So I'm here to collect what is owed to Rocky. So Charles says, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what I was going to give Rocky. He then proceeds to pull out a gun from this briefcase he has. He's like, there's a gun under the table with a silencer on it. You're going to follow me too. And at this point, Lieutenant Stuyvesant and two or three other police officers come out, guns drawn, right up on Charles. Like not at a distance, like stop police, like right up guns inches from his face. So clearly he gonna let that gun go. Okay. And give it up. So the Lieutenant is like, Margaret, go home. I'm like, okay, she, she probably cared a lot. She was willing to quit her job. Well, it's the maid. So I don't, I don't know. And run off to Rio to live with this man who we don't know how long they knew each other. She was planning to start a new life. She probably loved this man. And now he's been murdered. And she had the, but their entire relationship. She got to see him messing around with her boss. Now that's all hot. Like, I can't feel sorry for her for that. Cause like, you, that's what you signed up for. That like you saw that happen and you believe him that he didn't feel anything for her. Like, I don't care. You are still having sex with her. I, I do not care if you love her, like her, or can't stand her. You're still having sex with her. That's a problem for me. So we can't be in a relationship. Like, I, girl, there are more people. There are more qualified, quality men in Westchester for you, girl. Get out the house. You know what I mean? girl. Anyway, so Margaret starts to break down and cry because like, obviously this was already, you know, a lot for her. She lost someone she loved. Her future died with him. Okay. And the future she had envisioned or that he had painted for her had, you know, died with him. And she was almost murdered herself. Okay. Someone pulled it, even though she didn't see the gun, Someone pulled out a gun and was like, I'm about to kidnap you and murder you. Okay, girl. Um, 
where is Jessica? Like they should have had Jessica in the cut so she could come over and lend a shoulder to Margaret because you're going to tell this, this distraught woman to go home. Like she did something wrong. Not a thank you. Not, I know this must've been difficult for you while the other, while the officers take, um, Charles away to prison, well, to jail and then trial and then prison. But you ain't have to be nasty to her. She ain't do nothing to you. She made bad decisions, but she's a victim in this too. Okay. She was almost murdered. That's what I mean. She was a victim. I don't mean like she sleeping with a man who's sleeping with somebody else knowingly, uh, whatever. I mean that she agreed to help. Okay. And had a gun pulled out on her and was almost eliminated, almost kidnapped and then murdered. Okay. And who knows what would have happened in the in-between, okay? So you ain't have to be rude to her at all, Lieutenant. Shoot. Anyway, so he's then arrested. That being Charles. So the next scene, we're at the precinct. And Charles admits that Beaumont only knew that Sheila was out here stealing and her husband paid later. Actually, her Sheila paid later through her trust, but her husband set it up, okay? Because it was Sheila's money. Don't be, mm, don't be like her husband paid for it because he ain't, he ain't got money like that. Okay, that's $78,000. Those millions of dollars worth of jewels. Sheila came off of that from her daddy money. From her daddy, because you know she ain't got no job. But she is, I'm assuming that her father invested well as well. She said, I got enough money for four lifetimes. Four. Girl. Okay, 40 million. In 1990. That's wild. Anyway. So Jessica says, uh, so you have Sheila who would wear a piece of jewelry once or twice, then throw it in a drawer of old jewelry like other women would do to costume jewelry. Then you would have Rocco take it and bring it to you, Charles. And Charles says, I would then send it to my uncle in Boston who would make an exact copy. Jessica says, and then you would return it to Sheila that must be how Barbara, the Boston socialite, had the same one-of-a-kind pair of earrings Sheila remembers having and was also in that box of paste jewels, okay? So she did have a pair of those earrings, but Rocco stole them. A copy was made. The original stayed in the Boston store to be sold again, and okay, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Okay, to be sold at full price, full price. Okay, so Beaumont's is getting paid. Okay, and the uncle is getting paid. How, millions, millions, okay, millions. And so the lieutenant says, your uncle already admitted to splitting the money with you. Charles says, I didn't murder Rocco. Okay, I needed him. And so Drew, who's there as well, said, 
yeah, you needed him, but not enough for him to demand more money or a larger cut, Jessica says, or threatened, or he threatened to tell the police the whole story once he was settled in Rio. To which Charles says, we were friends. And the lieutenant says, we have evidence that you're the killer. We have fibers that belong to your clothes on scene. We have paint on the gloves that you used that mat that will match the paint on the tire iron. Okay. Or yeah, tire iron. So Charles says, all right, fine. Rocco found out that I had other suppliers. So other employees of wealthy, other wealthy women who I had steal their jewelry to do the same thing. So he demanded a one-time payout of $100,000. But when I found out he was going to Rio, I knew that these blackmail payments would continue. So I had to stop it. I had to put a stop to it before it happened. So apparently Rocco wanted the money the night of the party. So Charles snuck onto the estate and hid behind, hid in the garage, I think. I think he was in the garage. He saw the interaction between Sheila and Rocco. When Sheila left the garage and was out of sight, but Rocco was still looking in that direction towards the open door of the garage, Charles snuck up behind him and hit him in the head with the tire iron. So Jessica, he, so he says, he left me no choice. So Jessica says, you came to the house to steal the jewelry so no one will find out about the switches, right? Which I'm like, oh, so he was going to steal all of the jewelry that were fakes, right? Make it look like a burglary. And then no one would know that the jewels, the real jewels have been replaced by paste jewels. Okay, I got that. I got that. I got that. And Charles said, if it wasn't for that damn cat, no one would have known. And so they are all looking around. I'm like... (laughs) It wasn't the cat's fault. It was your fault for stepping on the cat's tail because that cat would have let you live, let you steal and keep it pushing. All right. Didn't even ask you for a treat. Didn't meow, didn't sniff at you, minded all of her own business. Okay. I'm assuming the cat's a female. I do not know why. But let you let you do you, boo. But you had to step on the cat's tail instead of being more conscientious, right? And being more observant. Then it could, that was on you. That was the cat's fault. How the cat gonna let mind its own business? But it's the cat's fault that you got caught, sir. Please. So the next scene, Sheila is doing a commercial for Drew's campaign. And we find out that the lieutenant is still hanging around because, you know, he's trying to get like chief investigator type job at the DA's office, okay, (laughs) when Drew wins. and But I think he is a legitimate fan of Drew Borden, the lieutenant. I think he actually is, though. But um, 
we find out that Drew is in the lead on by another three points. Like we don't know what the overall uh, lead is, but he's ahead another three points. So it's it's looking good. And um, I think it's, I think that's also going to show that once he got rid of Sid and was running the campaign clean, that, well, also being involved in the capture of a murder where the wrong person had been arrested looks great. Okay. It looks great. And having Sheila do a commercial basically saying, you know, if you don't vote for Drew, you're going to let the bad guy get away. The bad guy could get you or whatever. Having been a victim and a suspect, a suspect first and then a victim after. And Drew being instrumental, even though it was outside his county, right? So outside his jurisdiction, he still assisted in the discovery and capture of a murderer, okay? A murderer and a thief, okay? Yeah. So we are left to feel that a clean campaign can still result in success. Now, we don't know who won. Like in real life, it wasn't Drew Borden. (laughs) It wasn't. But for fictional purposes, we'll just assume that he won, okay? But we then see Sheila in the makeup chair. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe she's doing a second commercial for him. I don't know. But she's talking to Jessica and just their banter between each other is just very... Very nice to see, enjoyable. And so (laughs) Sheila sees a hair clip and she picks it up, a hair comb that has like jewels around the top of it. And she picks it up. She was like, isn't this so pretty? Isn't this cute? And Jessica gives her a look and she's like, (laughs) she puts it back and she shrugs her shoulders like, okay, I'll, I'll do better. And Jessica laughs and that's how the episode ends. So like I said, I don't know. Well, I know that I drug my feet to tape this because I did not remember this episode well. Okay. It's not one that I watched frequently. So I did drag my feet, but, but, but howsoever, it is a good watch. It is a very good episode. I will say that. Despite the lieutenant getting on my nerves, low key, high key, okay? And Sheila, you know, loving Rocco, which she can't help, but Rocco really using her, he's trash and I'm glad he's dead. So there's that, okay? So there was some justice done. And Charles is going to prison, you know? And and so we're, we're not gonna be concerned about the money for the jewels and how that's going to work out. But I will say this, I will say this, I will say this. In closing, they said he had $18,000. This being Rocco had $18,000 in cash in his room. If let's say 
the jewels that had already been stolen and replaced were worth $500,000, right? And the uncle sold them, let's say for $400,000. Say he he gave some discounts or whatnot to his regular customers. Say $400,000. That means that Charles got just from Sheila, not including however many other wealthy women jewelry employees were stealing their jewelry to be replaced and resold. Charles would have gotten $200,000. Okay, because the uncle has no money out. It's 100% profit because it's stolen, right? And whatever he needed to, minus whatever he needed to make the copy jewels, the paste jewels, which I'm sure is not, it's probably not even a full percent of the money he's making from selling the real stolen jewels. But you're going to tell me that Charles has $200,000, okay? And that Rocco, who has all of the consequences, all of the danger, only has $18,000. Let's even assume, let's even assume, let's even assume, okay? That he paid, now you know he ain't paid for a place down in Brazil just yet, right? Assuming he got first class tickets to Brazil. I'm gonna say, At best, even if those were $5,000 each, that's $10,000, that's $28,000. And Charles had $200,000 from which to give this to Rocco. And Rocco is now saying, give me $100,000 and that's that on that. Like, <laughs> Rocco is stupid too, okay? You got a good thing going. He's stupid on multiple levels. You have a good thing going here with Sheila, okay? You can have whatever other woman you want. You can go out, you can do you. You can be a womanizer. You're not tied down to anyone or anything, okay? You are on payroll, all right? And... Then you decide, I'm going to mess that up. Okay, I'm going to mess that up. I'm going to mess up Margaret as well. I'm going to get in her head, get her confused, get her to to leave Taria with me when I know I'm going to drop her like a hot pocket, okay? As soon as we get there so that I can be with multiple Brazilian women. That's why I chose Rio. And then you have, you're not even getting a good percentage. You don't even know how the value of these jewels, okay? Because Sheila is stealing them and the receipts coming to her, the bill is coming to her husband. He's sending it to the trust, getting the check cut and issuing the check. So you're not hearing how much these things are costing or valued at, I should say. So you don't even know how much to demand for your work. You're stupid and you deserve to die. So that's that on that, okay? Knocked in upside the head. 
I'm glad Sheila didn't do it because I like her and I would not want her to go to prison. I want her to live her best life with Porter, you know, and they'll find somebody else to, to fill that need until she's cool without it, you know, if ever, maybe never, I don't know. But, and Margaret can go and start her life over in Vermont, you know, and she's still young enough to, you know, either be happy with herself or find somebody and start a family. Um, Whatever she wants to do, she's still young enough to do it and have an amazing life, okay? So I wish the best for her. She was stupid, but I wish the best for her that she, this has been a hard lesson for her to learn, but that she learned it and she'll choose better. Either she'll choose herself first. So then if she chooses somebody else in addition to that, great. But as long as she has learned to, to see more for herself, then it's worth it. And yeah, yeah, I hope Drew wins. Um, I hope that he does not hire Lieutenant Stuyvesant. I don't know. He's annoying. I'm over it. <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. So that's that on that. Next week, no. In two weeks, so on January 31st, New Year's Eve, yes, we will be doing the review of A Body to Die For. Now, this is one of my faves. Now, it does not have Loretta's Ladies, but it does have Eve Simpson and Phyllis, okay? And some other ladies, okay, (laughs) who are very sassy as well. So not our Loretta's Ladies, but we get a, a good amount of sass, from the ladies in this episode. So it's a good one. It's obviously a Cabot Cove episode. It's good. So I look forward to that. And ending the year on a good episode, okay? If this one was the last one, this would be great as well. So either one of these is a win. So until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod on Facebook Meta. And of course, you can find me on Patreon, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. If you're not in it, get into it. Oh, the content of it all. All right, start the new year with Monty. All right, all right. (laughs) So anyway, although this is being taped and airing after Hanukkah, I hope that You all, those who observe it, had an amazing Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa to those who celebrate Kwanzaa. And we'll be back before the new year. So whatever you celebrate, I hope that you spent an amazing time with your family, whether it's your biological family or the family you created, that this is the season. So I I hope that it's been amazing for you. And I will be back right before 2024. So until then, have an amazing two weeks and I will do the same. Until then, bye.